Jay Haston is a very wise leader of a unique area of long-term care, children with disabilities. The quotes and drop the mic moments that Jay shares in this episode, I think will be impressive to you. They were impressive to me. If you don't like his personal stories about how he got his nose broken or what he's learned from having a PhD in law, I don't know what will impress you. Jay was a joy to have on the program and hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit experience.care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today. Hello, welcome back to LTC Heroes Live by Experience Care. My name is Peter Murphy-Lewis. I'm your host. I'm really excited to be talking to someone that I think works in the area of long-term care that I definitely didn't know about. And I'm guessing some of the listeners, I'm talking to Jay Haston. He is the president and CEO of Cedar Crest Center for Children with Disabilities. Jay, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Peter. Very happy to be here. Jay, let's start off right away with kind of the crumb that I put in the introduction, which is why are you part of the unique 1% of long-term care? Give me a little bit of background on that. Yeah. So Cedar Crest is a home and a school for children who have both developmental differences and major medical needs. Often we're referred to as a pediatric post-acute setting. And because we work with children and because we work with children with developmental differences, we're, we're part of that really small long-term care niche that you mentioned. In our National Trade Association, the Pediatric Complex Care Association, we're at about 50 members. And so nationwide, you're looking at probably 3,000 or so children total out of 330 million lives in the country that need this level of care. Wow. Definitely a minority, which means that you probably have a lot of challenges. I'll leave the challenges for a little bit later because we'll talk about you having a doctorate in law and public policy, and we'll kind of go to that advocacy level. But tell me a little bit about how you first got into people with disabilities. I look at your resume and you have always been involved in empowering and working to make this world a better place in that area. Tell me a little bit about that background. Yeah, my story is a funny one in that I originally intended not to be in human services at all. I, I was going to study English as my undergrad and go to law school. That was the plan. My father and my grandfather had both worked for the state of Massachusetts at one of their facilities for folks with developmental differences. And so I had some exposure, take your kid to work day, events and parties, that sort of thing. And there was a neat internship opportunity the summer after I graduated high school that my dad told me about. It was called the Urban Youth Collaborative Program. And it was a paid summer internship. I went to work at the state facility. And at the end of it, they offered me a full-time job. And I thought, oh, what a neat thing to do to feel good about while I go to school. And then I got promoted. And it's one of those things, we hear this story often, both with your podcast guests and others throughout the industry, but kind of got its hooks in me. I loved what I was doing. I felt like I was able to make meaningful change. And I felt like I was able to reach some of my professional goals more quickly than I had imagined I would when thinking about a law school track. And just so happens, many years later, I went back and got that law degree anyway. And we definitely need people with law degrees in long-term care. Jay, you know, when I talk to leaders in the industry, I often am interested in what was their biggest kind of learning curve. Was it the bureaucracy? Was it the people? 
Was it leadership and uh, regulatory quapi whatsoever? What was it for you? So maybe a little atypical, but I'm passionate about human services. And as I started to get further along in my career, I was running up against some financial decisions that didn't make sense to me. In particular, I struggled with the idea of for-profit entities and how to reconcile public-private partnerships and that sort of thing. I had a great mentor who said to me at one point, you should be careful about having strong opinions about anything before you really truly understand those things. And that inspired me to go and get my MBA. I really wanted to kind of understand my enemy, if that makes sense. And so I went to business school so that I could better understand the places where public-private partnerships made sense or the places where long-term care and other social services could benefit from market forces. And that was a big aha moment for me. I remain convinced that particularly in long-term care spaces, profit-making entities have kind of a tightrope to walk in terms of outcomes. And so that bias is not totally gone, but that was definitely the big aha moment for me is that there is a place for all voices at the table. And really as leaders, we need to be humble enough to figure out how to work with everybody. Kind of going back to that moment where you realized you like long-term care, that you can make a difference do you have any stories where either someone made an impact on your life or a mentor made an impact in your life? And you can think back and you can almost think of the words. You can almost feel the same emotion that you had and you took home something special with you. And you said, there's a chance I'm going to be a lifer here. So this anecdote is going to sound a little strange. One of my first gigs, I worked with folks who had differences in how they express themselves, what some might call challenging behavior really complex and significant cases. And I remember the first time I got my nose broken at work being like a watershed moment for me in that I was a frontline supervisor. It was the first time that I had been in a role of this responsibility and I handled the situation poorly. I had an interaction where somebody spit on me and I thought I knew all the techniques and I knew how to make space and interact in the way that was appropriate. And I sort of froze in that moment. I was not at all prepared for that. And so I did not respond appropriately. And my nose is a little lumpy to this day. But that was an incredible lesson for me because the important part of that was not, oh, shoot, a painful thing happened to me. The important part of that was, how can I do that better next time? How can I be in that situation next time and cause less distress for the person that I'm working with? not put myself in a position of risk, but more importantly, not put them in a position where they're feeling like that's their only option for communicating. Kind of an axiom in the industry that all behavior is communication, right? And so we should never really look at something and say, oh, that's unpleasant. I wish that wouldn't happen. We should always look at behavior as what is this telling us about that person's experience, what they're trying to tell us, or what their needs might be. So feels a little funny to say, but yeah, having, having my nose broken was a really important moment. Very atypical. Thank you for being vulnerable. I don't often start off of the first five minutes, someone saying I messed up and that's where I realized this might be a good fit for me because you were willing to learn from it. Well, first of all, hopefully you were joking when you said it was the first time you got your nose broke. Two times. Oh my. <laughs> Moving kind of to Cedar Crest, can you tell me, for those of us who can't be in Keene, New Hampshire today, what's unique about kind of the intangibles? Is there something about the culture? Is there something about 
the social workers? Is there something about the families who entrust you to help them with their children that you're like, this is palpable when you walk in here? Sure. At Cedar Crest, we work with the most medically fragile children in three states. So we're the only pediatric post-acute setting in New Hampshire, Vermont, or Maine. And so the children that we work with often refer directly from hospital pediatric intensive care units or neonatal intensive care units. They're the most medically complex children coming out of those settings. And what they need, often a step-down setting from the hospital level of care, often before they transition home with family, sometimes more moderate or longer-term stays. And so the children have many complex needs. The biggest and most important need and the value that the staff here live so well is to get the medical stuff out of the way so that kids can be kids. You know, we're a home and a school. Kids are supposed to have fun and learn. And how do we get all of the other stuff managed effectively, safely, and then out of the way so that we can have fun? So that, I think, is something that consistently impresses me about the staff here, that they're very honed in on that. That's beautiful. Jay, if you had to say, you know, what three or four hours in the week are your favorite part of the week, what would you say? Yeah. So I try to reserve a few hours each week to sit down with a staff person who doesn't report to me directly or a child or a family member or a guardian and just ask them for their story. This is both a lot of fun for me. It also ends up being some of my most productive time in the sense that I think as leaders, often we overcomplicate our business. Most of my good ideas come directly from someone who's actually doing the work. So if I am just humble enough to sit down with somebody and say, how can I make your life better as an employee, as a family member, as a person receiving services, if I just take them seriously and hear them out, most of the time that sorts most of the operational challenges that we might be having. And probably that's as close to a driving philosophy as I have. I love it. It's the first time I've got that answer. Definitely not even close to it, not even 20% around the margins. So my follow-up question would be, if I asked three people that report to you, what is your leadership style or the way that you ask questions or the way that you empower? How do you think that they'd answer that? Okay, confession time. Yes, I host the LTC Heroes podcast, and hopefully you know that by now, but I can't take all the credit. Jason Long, the CEO of Experience Care, told me two years ago that when we started this show, that this new audio platform had to create value for everyone, whether you're a client of Experience Care EHR or not. Then he encouraged me to become a CNA to really help LTC Heroes resonate with caregivers and leaders. And between you and me, he really knew what he was talking about. LTC Heroes has been invited to almost 10 conventions in 2022 to finally shine a light on what leaders like you have been doing for decades. It's that sort of knowledge of the industry that really makes me appreciate Experience Care, which has developed a customizable and intuitive EHR that makes clinical financial and billing processes more efficient and accurate. It transforms workflows into something that makes sense so you can focus on what really matters caring for your residents. The software is used by ALFs, SNFs, CCRCs, big and small facilities alike. Countless users have reached out and shared with me that it really is effective in helping them improve outcomes. I can honestly say that I know my grandparents would be proud to learn that I work at a place like at Experience Care. And I just wanted to take the time to thank Experience Care for sponsoring this podcast. Check out their latest products at www.experience.care. I think a popular response would be, Jay wants to hire good people and get out of their way. But I find I say that often, 
I have the greatest job in the world because my responsibilities are twofold. I need to put people in situations to be successful, and then I need to remove obstacles for them. And if I'm doing those two things, usually the outcomes are where we want them to be. So I think probably that's what my direct reports would give you. Jay believes strongly in that kind of idea. I also often say I get to ask the fun questions. My favorite question to ask is, why can't we? So where at Cedar Crest, we're a home and a school, and I was visiting, I try to visit each classroom every week and do a lesson or an activity with them. And I was in with the high schoolers a few months ago, and the high school students said, hey, Jay, we've never been to the aquarium. We've never been able to go and see the penguins, and we really want to see the penguins. And so it said to the team, like, hey, we got to find a way to, to get these guys down to Boston so that they can visit the aquarium because of the medical needs of our children. You're talking many nurses, at least a one-on-one -on -one staff for each child, uh, multiple large vehicles trying to park in Boston. So it was certainly not an easy endeavor. But what I love about my job is that I get to ask those questions. And what I love about this team is that they are consistently amazing at figuring out how to make those moments happen. Jay, some of the people who will be listening to this listed on the podcast platform, so they won't be able to visually see you. You're a very young person, at least by appearances. I'm wondering where you get this wisdom. If you had to attribute it to either a mentor or a philosophy of schooling, or maybe a neighbor, or maybe you learned at work, how would you try to like explain to me, not the nature side, the nurture side? Sure. Yeah. I said to a colleague earlier today, actually, I'm going to ride this, you look young to be in your position thing as long as possible. So I appreciate it. I have been lucky to have many incredible people give me time and space and wisdom. I have learned at the feet of incredible leaders. My doctoral committee had a couple of incredible mentors on it. Dr. Chris White, who runs an organization called Road to Responsibility down in Massachusetts. Dr. David and Dr. Kathy Jordan who run a large organization called Seven Hills, where I worked before coming to Cedar Crest. Carolyn Guffey, who's an incredible leader at a place called Walnut Street that I've worked at as well. And I think what is consistent among each of those great minds that I've been around has been this idea that some might call it like servant leadership or a humility in leadership. But really, it's not about a great person leading a charge into battle. It's about assembling a team and supporting a team and seeing what they can accomplish. And by, I think each of those great people that have been around lives that ideal. And that's something I've taken from them. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Jay, kind of moving into advocacy, your doctorate in law, your interest in public policy, are there any unique challenges for the fact that you're in a really, really unique corner in long-term care at the pediatric level? that you face that those of us who aren't there, that rather were with America's seniors, that you face that we might not know about and might not understand? Sure. Yeah. So because we're such a small constituency, we look to a number of collaborations and partnerships to help advance our cause. And you see this play out in a couple of ways. The American Healthcare Association has an IDD committee arm. They're really, really helpful in connecting some of us who are in different parts of the space. The Pediatric Complex Care Association I mentioned earlier is the 45 or 50 of us that are doing this most regularly. I'm lucky enough to be appointed to their board starting in January, and they do incredible work. Locally here, the New Hampshire Healthcare Association, so the local chapter of the American Healthcare Association, 
I serve on their board as the only member representing a facility of my type. And in terms of public policy challenges, often it boils down to, and don't forget about Cedar Crest. So we'll put a lot of work into pushes on things like reimbursement rates in nursing homes or wages for staff or training programs or that sort of thing. And then Brendan Williams, who's the president of our association here in New Hampshire, is incredible in many ways, but he is often finding ways to include Cedar Crest in that conversation. And many of the policy challenges that we see across long-term care also resonate in settings like ours. Jay, the next question is probably going to be a surprise question. And the reason I'm going to throw it at you is because your confidence and self-awareness is very, very impressive for a young leader. So I'm going to try and surprise you with the following. What's something surprising about you in the way that you acquire knowledge that listeners might not think about for someone who has their PhD in law? And if it could be Reddit, it could be Twitter, it could be, I don't read anything because I did so much in my upper education. I no longer want to read a book. Anything that would surprise me about the way that you acquire knowledge? Oh, interesting question. The thing about a doctorate is that you become something of a subject matter expert about such a narrow piece of the world. And so you're sort of out, out on a ledge. In that arena, you're pretty knowledgeable. But where you take that back is not necessarily the specific subject matter, but it's the skills you learn, the rhetorical knowledge, the, the way to think about the two sides of a case, that sort of thing. I still love to read. The greatest trick my father ever pulled uh, was telling me that I could stay up a half an hour later each night if and only if I was reading. And so I continue to read before bed to this day, 30-something years later. Yeah, so I'm still quite a big fan of taking in, I guess, something atypical for a millennial is that I still prefer long form, whether it's journalism or books. I find more value in those forms of knowledge than Twitter is obviously imperiled uh, in our public discourse currently. But I have found that to be higher quantity, lower quality information. And so I do still love me a good long form article. What books would I find on your nightstand, whether it be in your Kindle or print version? Sure. Yeah. I'm trying to pick up the Kindle. It's hard. There's something special about turning pages. So one that I am hoping to get into is a book called Doing Justice by Preet Bharara. He was district attorney for one of the districts in New York and something of a public figure now. And the other is a book called Globalization and Its Discontents by Joseph Stiglitz. He's an economist I like quite a bit, but presents his material in a way that I find more readable than most of what you find. Yeah. So those are the two that I'm hoping to, to make a dent in soon. Yeah. Globalization. I went through that in my upper education. Also agree with you. Good way of processing international politics and kind of international sociology in bite-sized material that you don't have to read all the footnotes. Jay, as we start to wrap up here, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to highlight either about your organization or something that you're passionate about that kind of defines who you are or your workplace? Yeah. So I guess uh, something of an industry observation, those of us that work in pediatric post-acute settings represent a really small but very vital part of a continuum of care. There's been a lot of talk about hospitals being overloaded and most often seniors, but not being able to get folks out of hospital beds and into long-term care settings because of 
the staffing crisis and other challenges. And we certainly see that from time to time in our setting. But the continuum of care is incredibly important. Among the things that we do, long-term stays for folks that have a really complex medical journey, short-term stays for folks that their family might need some training before they can transition home to the family setting, or they might need to get medically stable before we can look at stepping down from our setting to a family setting. And then we do have some folks whose profiles are complex enough that they might need us for a long time. And so that part of the continuum of care, I don't think gets a lot of press because it's a very low occurrence, but a very high need uh, group that we work with. And the collaboration with community partners is pretty incredible. A little less than half of the children who live at Cedar Crest use ventilators for all or part of the day to assist with their breathing. And when you think about the journey that a child with a ventilator with a developmental difference when you think about their journey to go from a hospital to a step-down setting to eventually, hopefully, going home, if that is an option for them, there are so many pieces that need to be accounted for and hurdles that need to be overcome. And any attention we can draw to those journeys and those successes, I think, is well worth it. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I want to highlight, Jay, for anyone who's listening, if you're close to a computer, Go look at Cedarcrest's website, cedarcrestforkids.org. The way that I would try and put it into words is a lot of times traditional long-term care kind of senior communities put the most beautiful senior resident on their homepage. Jay couldn't choose one. He found 15 beautiful children to put on his homepage, and it makes you want to read about their mission and vision. It kind of, at least for me, makes me want to hug your staff, even though I haven't met them. Jay, thank you so much for joining LTC Heroes. Hopefully one of these days we will meet in person and I will be able to hug your staff. That would be fabulous. We'll welcome you for a tour anytime. Appreciate your time. Take care. Visit ltcheroes.com to join our Facebook group for nurses and our exclusive LinkedIn group for LTC owners. Visit ltcheroes.com for your exclusive access today. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit Experience.Care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today.